get. Well, it's a joy to be together with family this evening to worship King Jesus. And so we've been singing praises to God. We've been praying to God. Now, this is the part of the service where we get to hear God's word uh, preached, proclaimed. And so may God uh, be glorified in this time. So what divides the world should not divide the church? I'll say that again. What divides the world should not divide the church. So this is a quote from my, one of my former pastors and good friend, uh, Matt Schoolfield in, in Raleigh, North Carolina, at Fellowship Raleigh Church. And, and, and this is a, a true statement. But the reality is, is that the church is divided. And when I say church, I'm, I'm talking about uh, the, the universal church, uh, which includes local churches like ours, CACC or ARC or Mercy of Christ Church, other churches all throughout the world, et cetera, et cetera. But there, let me be clear, there is unity amongst local churches like the ones I just mentioned. But as a whole, there's much division in churches at large. So some of the things we're divided on, we're divided on our politics. Uh, we're divided on race matters. We're divided on justice issues. And the list can go on and on and on. I want to be clear that healthy disagreements are okay. So having a healthy disagreement uh, with the brother or sister in the faith, I believe that's okay. But when those disagreements impact the gospel or how we view Christ and his word uh, and even the church, then we have a problem. We have a major problem. When those disagreements impact how we view Jesus and the good news about Jesus and his word, the church, and all of these different things, we have a problem and this wasn't God's intent for his people. And we'll see God's intent, uh, his will for us as Christians in our passage this evening. And so if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, uh, please turn to Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. So Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. That's where we'll be in our time this evening. And so we're diving back into uh, our sermon series through the book of Ephesians called Grace Through Faith, A Gift from God. So over the last month or so, uh, we walked through our mission and vision as a church. And I can't think of a, a better passage to jump in after coming out of this last series. So if you are in the book of Ephesians, so it's in the New Testament You'll find the book of Ephesians there, chapter four. And so as you turn there, uh, let, me, let me pray for us as we dive in. Father in heaven, we, uh, we thank you uh, for this time to worship you uh, through the preached word. And so God, I pray, um, yeah, God, that you would hide me in you. Um, God, that you would increase and that I would decrease, God. 
I pray, God, that you would uh, magnify your son, magnify your word right now, God. And we pray that your word would do the work in all of our hearts. So let it be so, God, that your word would work in our hearts every which way you deem best. Meet us where we're at, God. Uh, you know where our hearts are, where our minds are. I pray even, God, that you would put a holy parenthesis around this time, God, that we would uh, not be distracted uh, by other things, but that you would help us to be tuned in to you, to hear from you, because that's what we are here to do. We are here to hear from you and to meet with you. And so, God, we pray in the name of Jesus uh, that uh, we would do just that, meet with you, hear from you, worship you, seek your face. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Ephesians 4, starting at verse 1, reads as follows. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And so it says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So this is God's word. Amen. Amen. So if you're taking notes, whether you are writing them down or taking them in your phone in a note or something along those lines, our main idea for this evening. So here's the main idea of our passage is this. God has called us to himself. And together in unity to display his oneness. So I'll say that again. God has called us to himself and together in unity to display his oneness, to, to, to display the unity that's in him. So two points this evening. Then I'm out your way, family. Two points. So point one. God has called us to himself. And so we're going to tease out this main idea. So God has called us to himself. That's point one. And we'll see that from verses one through two. And then point two, God has called us together in unity to display his oneness. So we'll see that in verses three through six. So once again, point one, God has called us to himself. Point two, God has called us together in unity to display his oneness. Let's walk through this family. So point one, God has called us to himself. Look back with me at verse one. Here's what it says. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So if you remember, as we were uh, in the first three chapters walking through this some months ago, but Paul in the first three chapters has been dropping doctrine on us. He's been dropping teaching uh, on us healthy teaching about who God is, who Jesus is, his son, and what he has done by his spirit. 
And so he's done that in the first three chapters, so one through three. And, and in the next three chapters, beginning with chapter four, where we are, he's going to now break down how we are to actually live that out. So uh, the way folks have, have put it is that chapters one through three is, is about doctrine and chapters four through six are about application. So it's like, how do I now, I've heard doctrine, I've heard teaching, man, now how do I actually live that out? And so we're going to, here in chapter four, uh, start to tease that out over these next few weeks or so as we're in uh, Ephesians. So in verse one, he starts out with, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. I mean, what a way to introduce yourself, right? (laughs) What a way to introduce yourself. I mean, if I came up earlier in the service, right, or even right now uh, and said, hey, I'm Josh. I'm a prisoner for the Lord. Uh, what would you all think? <laughs> you all would probably look at me a little crazy. Be like, oh, you're a prisoner for the Lord. What do you mean? Like, what is what does that entail? But Paul here referring to himself as a prisoner for the Lord here has a double meaning. You might remember uh, me walking through that some time ago about this double meaning. But what it means is that he is physically locked up, bound in chains for preaching Christ. And so he's he's locked up uh, in prison for preaching the name of Christ. But then in a spiritual sense, he is bound to the Lord uh, as the Lord has arrested his heart by the gospel. So if you're a Christian here this evening, maybe it would be good for you or for me uh, to refer to ourselves as prisoners for the Lord in the sense that Jesus has arrested our hearts, our lives, and we are bound to him forever. Amen. So we may not ever experience imprisonment for Christ like our brothers and sisters overseas as they can relate fully to this double meaning of Paul's title here. Uh, But. May we live lives fully devoted to Jesus, arrested by his love daily. May we live lives uh, as our hearts have been arrested by him on a daily basis. So Paul, after referring to himself, as we keep moving, after referring to himself as a prisoner for the Lord, he then what? He urges the Ephesian believers to do something. So he urges the Ephesian believers to do something. Some translations use uh, implore or beg in the place of that word urge. I mean, when you urge someone to do something, there's a a seriousness about that, right? You're you're urging them. There's a sense of urgency even with that. Uh, For example, uh, some some many, many years ago, um, I was looking for a job. I found a job in an ad. Um, This is while I was in North Carolina. to, to sell cutlery and things along those lines, had no business looking in an ad for a job or even trying to get a job with cutlery. I'm not nice with the knives like that or anything like that. <laughs> and so I, I found this job and I'm, I'm in, you know, the, the room and whatnot. And so the, the instructor, he's doing a demonstration and he's like, man, I need some volunteers. And so I'm like, OK, cool. I raised my hand. I came up. And I started, you know what I'm saying, uh, helping out with the demonstration. So he was nice with it, too. I mean, he was pulling all knives, like, cha-cha-cha-cha. I mean, just chopping up vegetables and all that stuff. So I said, okay, cool. He did it. I can do it, too. <laughs> I was like, I can do it. I mean, it's, he's nice with it. I can do it, too. Man. So I started, you know what I mean, trying to chop some, like, uh, I guess, like, carrots or some celery or something. So I, I hit it. 
I, and I, I thought it was nice with it, so I got a little pride for you. So I was like, I got one of them, bah, 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 I chopped it, right? Next thing I know, I chopped another one, and boom, hit my finger, hit my, my left index finger, right? And it ended up like slicing like right here, not off. Let me be clear, it didn't, it did, I didn't slice it off, but I did slice it, you know, a, a, a real clean cut here. And so, so I'm thinking I'm still good, it was so clean, I didn't know what was, I was like, oh, okay, I'm good, I'm good, I'm gonna keep going. And next thing I know, the instructor comes up to me. He's like, he's like, he was like, ho, ho. He's like, you're, you're bleeding. And I was like, I'm not bleeding. I'm good. And I looked down. And that's when it was just like, you're just not to, yeah, sorry. But that's when it started, you know what I'm saying, bleeding a lot more. And, and then he says, he says, hey, you're going to have to get some help, like, now. <laughs> you got to get some help now. And I was like, okay. And so I go out and I go to the bathroom. And I'm in there, so, you know, a lot of things are going on at that point, right? Like, my pride is hurt. I've been humbled. I'm like, dad, what am I doing here anyway? Now I got to go. First of all, I got to tell folks what happened. They're going to be wondering, like, what's going on with my finger? I got to tell them the story. So anyway, I go. I end up having to get stitches. Uh, but my, my, my point is, so I, I sliced up my finger. And, yeah, like, I started bleeding out. And this instructor, this expert was like, you need to go get help now. Like, don't delay. Don't wait on it. Go get them stitches, whatever you need to do to, to fix yourself up. And so in a, in a similar use of the word, uh, Paul here urges the Ephesian Christians to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they have been called. So there's a sense of urgency here. There's an urging that Paul is giving here. So the usage of the words, if you look down with me, uh, both times the word you in the text in verse one are plural, referring to the local body at Ephesus and not just a solo single Christian there. So so that word you is meant to be the whole congregation and not just one believer. And so what does he tell the whole congregation? He tells them to walk in a manner worthy. To walk in a manner worthy. So walk is used more in the rest of this chapter and throughout the chapters to follow. So to walk in a manner worthy, the idea here is to, as Pastor Tony Marita puts it, to conduct one's life. So to walk in a manner worthy is to conduct one's life. What this means is one's life should match what he or she believes. So the same gospel that changed our lives is the same gospel that our changed lives should now reflect, should now show. So the gospel saves us, changed us, and now we are to reflect that new life in Christ. So when Christ saves a person, their life then starts to ooze with Christ. It shows in other words, healthy doctrine should then be in keeping with holy living. So healthy doctrine should be in keeping with holy living. So if you're a Christian here, uh, none of us is perfect in this. I don't want to I don't want to uh, present this as if we are perfect in any of this because we're not uh, perfect. But that is not an excuse to live an unholy life. So although we're not perfect. You still strive for, for, for perfection. Uh, but 
Even though we're not perfect, we're trusting in his perfection, which then motivates us to, to seek after perfection and helps us to live a holy life. But this is not an excuse, although we're not perfect, to live a life of unholiness. You see, it's, it's, it's not enough to know a lot about God, to know doctrine, to fill up our heads with knowledge. Uh, and, and it doesn't make its way down to our hearts and then from our hearts to our hands. So it's not enough to fill up your head with a lot of knowledge, to learn a lot about God. And it doesn't do nothing to your heart. It doesn't change your heart. It doesn't change your life, which then reflects your, your hands, what you do. So our head and hearts, meaning what we know and believe, and our hands referring to what we then do and how we live in light of what we believe. So head, heart, hands. We want to, uh, yeah, when we read the Bible, we want to, yeah, let the word shape our heads and our hearts and what we do. Amen? And what we do. And so the reality is, if, if we're all honest, family, we are sinful people. We are sinful people. We are a, a mess. So on our worst days, we are sinful. And even on our best days, we are sinful. But here's the here's the kicker. But even in light of that, we are saved. We are sanctified. We have been sanctified and continuously being sanctified. And guess what, family? If you are a Christian, you are secure in Christ. So on our worst days, we're sinful. On our best days, we're sinful. But we are saved. We are sanctified. We've been sanctified. And we are continuously being sanctified. And we are secure in Christ. So living a life worthy of the calling, I believe, is really best defined as living a life of faithfulness to God and his word. And what's even better, family, he is our motivation to live worthy of the calling. God is our motivation. He is our motivation to live worthy of the calling by which he has called us to. So guess what? We live worthy of the calling by looking to and living like the worthy one. Christian, this is what you have been called to. This is what I have been called to. Uh, we've all been called to God. So we've been called by God to God himself. And this is what Paul has been teasing out in chapters one through three. So we have been called by God and saved by God. Just a, a really brief recap. So in chapter one, Paul tells us uh, that we have been chosen by God, that we have been adopted by God, that we have been redeemed and that we have been sealed by God. And so you see that in chapter one, verses four. I encourage you to read the chapter all over again. It's, it's really good. But in verses four, five, seven and 13, we see that there. Then in chapter two, we're reminded that we were dead in our sins and we were dead in our sins, dead in our trespasses. But that so so imagine a, a, a dead body in front of us right now uh, that. Man, like no matter how hard we screamed at it, no matter how hard we said, hey, wake up, yo, get up, get up, wake up. That person would not hear us. And in the same way, that's how our hearts were before God, before he actually said, wake up. Wake up to my truth. 
Wake up. Jesus died for you. Wake up. So our hearts uh, and our minds, we were we were dead in our trespasses and sins until God breathed life into us, until he saved us, until he made us alive in Jesus. And so him making us alive in Jesus, uh, this means that we weren't saved by our own works. So it wasn't based on our works or anything that you and I could do. Uh, nothing, nothing that we did uh, yet granted us salvation, but it was by Jesus's work alone, by grace, through faith. So this was Jesus's work that that saved us and that we have trusted in and that in trusting in his work, he has made us one family. So this is what Ephesians 2 reminds us of, reminds us of and tells us that he has made us one family. So in then chapter three, Paul unveils the mystery of the gospel what was that mystery of the gospel that God has made Jews and Gentiles one family. So Gentile just meaning non-Jews. That's all of us here, non-Jews, that that at one point, uh, if you look back at Ephesians 2, you'll see where it says in verse 12, it says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Verse 13, we see that word, but that is an amazing but. And it says this about what comes next and you want to pay attention that says but now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh and so in Christ's body what he did on the cross the dividing wall of hostility so this is what Christ has done uh, by taking yeah, Jews and Gentiles and making them one family. And so family, this, this one family that we are a part of by God's grace, he has called us together to live and look like God. This is what verse two is all about. And if we had to sum up verse two in chapter four, uh, it would be this, live and look like Jesus. As guess what? He embodies all of the characteristics listed that we'll see in, in verse two of chapter four and is the standard and the epitome of holiness. This is Jesus who we're talking about, who is the standard and the epitome of the characteristics that we'll dive in here soon. But before we dive into those, if you're not a Christian, I want you to know and I want you to hear me in love as I say this, that as we were talking about Paul being a prisoner of the Lord and as we were talking about us as Christians, uh, maybe we should start calling ourselves as prisoners of the Lord because God has arrested our hearts. If you're here and you're not a Christian, uh, you're not a prisoner of the Lord, but you are a prisoner of sin, Satan and the world. So that means that your lifestyle, just like our lifestyles before we knew Christ, is at odds with God. And that his wrath right now is abiding over your head, meaning that you are a sinner. And because of your sin, if you were to die right now, God forbid, God would be just and right to punish you by casting you into hell 
where you would experience eternal torment and separation for all of eternity from God. So this is this is where you stand right now. And the Bible says that, yeah, you are an enemy of God right now. And that you love your sin. You, you love darkness and you hate the light. You hate the things of the light. And I did too before God saved me. But the good news, don't want to leave you there with the bad news. The good news is that Jesus comes. Jesus, who is God's son, God incarnate, comes and he takes your place and my place by living a life completely and perfectly pleasing to God. And guess what? Then taking the punishment, God's wrath, we all deserved on the cross by dying and then being raised on the third day. This is good news for you, for me. Because of what Jesus did, you and I can now be saved and forgiven of all of our sins and set free from the grips of sin and Satan and the world. We can be set free. And for those of us who have trusted Christ, we have been set free. And if you haven't trusted Christ yet, you can be set free. And I want to encourage you. I want to use the word that Paul used. I want to urge you to repent of your sins, to turn away from your sins, to turn away from the things that God hates. And then turn to him by faith, by belief, by trusting in only what Jesus has done for you. And when you do that, the Bible says you will be saved. That you'll be a part of this one family that I'm talking about here. That one family in Christ. And so if you're here and you are not a Christian and you would like to uh, yeah, learn more about how to become a Christian, I would love to talk with you after the service. Would, would, would love, it would be my joy to talk with you after the service and, and pray with you. And so come see me after the service as we, as we can talk more about what it means to follow Christ, what it means for his love to arrest your heart like it has all of us who bear the name of Christ. Amen? Amen. All right, so verse two. Let's look at verse two. Look back with me at the text. It says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So, Paul urges the church at Ephesus to live a life worthy of the gospel. And verse two spells out that life a bit more. So in other words, here's how uh, that looks practically. Right. Notice I want you to notice something really key here. Notice that the characteristics listed in verse two are tied to the overarching banner, though, of walking in a manner worthy. Right. So. If you just look back at verse one, what does it say? It says, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And it, this isn't like something like new or anything along those lines. It's like this is in addition to this is like with it. So what does it say? It says with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So it's, it's tied to that overarching banner 
of walking in a manner worthy. So he tells them to do this with all humility and gentleness. And so we're going to spend some time just kind of walking through those briefly uh, to quote Dr. Tony Marita again. Um, in speaking on humility, here's what he says. He says, Interested, uh, interestingly, uh, the term humility was uncommon in first century Greek literature. Uh, when it did appear, it was used with a negative connotation. So pride was more highly valued. Uh, Christians were ridiculed for humility. All right. So at one point, so in first century, like first century, like Christian uh, world life, uh, humility was something that was ridiculed. It wasn't something that was accepted. Uh, pride was more so accepted. And if you even look at our culture right now today, uh, humility, so it wasn't popular then in the early church. And I think even now, uh, humility is something that's still not popular uh, in our culture today. I mean, just think about it. Just think about social media for a second. Think about social media, right? Uh, like Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And so those are the only ones that I, you know, know how to work. Um, I'm getting to, uh, getting at that age where some of these other, you know what I mean, social media things, and I don't know, I need some of y'all young bloods to help a brother out uh, with some of these things. But so Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, just to use an example, uh, people could really use some humility, right, on these platforms. Think about it. Um, we exalt ourselves on social media. Am I lying? We exalt ourselves on social media. And so uh, the opposite of humility is self-exaltation. That's what it is, as Dr. Marita puts it. So here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you can't use social media. I use it. It's cool. It's fine. It's okay. But be careful with your motives when you post. So... When you're posting on Instagram or on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, Snapchat, all these other different things that they have. Um, here's a question that I wanna, want you to ask yourself when you are about to post, Christian. Are you exalting self or the sun? Are you seeking to exalt self? You want people to look at you, you, you? You want people to know how, what, what's happening in, in your life, what you are doing? And that's like the motive, like you're, you're, you're eager to receive some likes based on the picture or based on whatever it might be. Or are you seeking to exalt the sun? So here's, the, here's what I want to be clear on. Is it's okay to post a picture. It's okay to, uh, to post a, a, a good, clean, good picture or whatever the case may be or anything along those lines. It's what your motives are and what you're looking for in return, when you do post it, that's what you want to be careful of. That's what you want to address before God. And so when we think about our world, our world is like them club promoters back in the day uh, with the flyers, business cards, et cetera, et cetera, promoting the club, but promoting self. Out here, we, you know, like promoting self. And so if we're not careful, we can be just like those club promoters. Promoting self, wanting people to see self, wanting people to look at me and look at how I'm doing, look at how I'm navigating. Got to be very careful, fam. The scriptures promote humility. 
This is what the scriptures promote. Humility. And so we see that in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Here are a few examples. There are plenty more, but just a few examples. Uh, you are more than welcome to turn there if you like, or just write these down and people later. But Proverbs 3.34 and Philippians 2, 1 through 8. I'm going to read those here for us just so you can uh, get a sense of, man, this is what the scriptures tell us. So Proverbs 3.34, it says, uh, toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. Or that word favor could be grace, as some translations put it. So toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor, grace. You see that? And then in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 8, Paul, who wrote the book of Philippians as well, he says this. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Some translations would say humbled himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So. The scriptures promote humility, not pride. Humility. So, CACC, visitors, family, are you humble this evening? Are you humble? How are you doing with humility this evening? And even stemming from our passages I just read in uh, Philippians 2, do you think about yourselves, your interests more than others? Is that you? Is that me? We need to check our hearts. Are we, are, we, are we consumed with us more than, than seeking uh, the interests of others, as the text tells us to? If so, that's pride. It's pride. And we, you and I, need to repent of that. We need to turn away from that. And seek humility. And seek to be humble. I love how Pastor Tim Keller defines humility. He says, the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. I love that. So it's not, it's not you or me thinking more of ourselves or thinking less of ourselves. It is actually thinking of myself and yourself less. In our minds, we're not consumed. I'm not consumed with Josh, 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 Josh all the time. Yeah, I'm going to tend to things that I need to tend to, but I'm also thinking about Brother Brock. I'm thinking about Brother Rick. I'm thinking about Sister Natasha. I'm thinking about Nikki. I'm thinking about others. I'm thinking about my family. I'm thinking about 
I am also thinking about the interests of others and seeking to support, seeking to encourage, seeking to help. And the same should be true of all of us as a body, as a family. Amen? Y'all still with me? Cool, cool. So next, let's continue to move on. So gentleness, all right? And so, so having a toddler uh, who just turned four today, praise God. Um, I'm, I'm sure other parents can relate, uh, whether, yeah, kids were younger or even at the age they are now. Um, maybe not so much now. <laughs> but at his age, uh, me and wifey are always we're like, we're like, okay, all right, bubby, be gentle, be gentle. Uh, whether it's when he's playing with friends or if he's gotten a new toy, we're like, hey, hey, buddy, be gentle, be gentle. Uh, similarly, we need as Christians to tell each other when necessary to be gentle. So we see here that uh, gentleness is included right after humility. We need to be telling others to be gentle with our words and actions as believers. So gentleness in our culture is sometimes put off as if you're soft or something along those lines, where in the biblical sense, gentleness is, is more of man. You are strong. Gentleness. I mean, you think about what Moses, he was known to be the meekest man in all the world, in all the earth. Gentleness is what God calls us to as Christians. So how are you doing with that? How am I doing with that? Am I being gentle with my words? Am I being gentle in my actions? That's the call for us, believers. Patience. As we keep moving on. How are you doing with that? How am I? How would you say our culture is doing with this? I mean, one could say we are doing poorly just by the way we see people drive on the highway with patience. Just by the way we see people drive on the highway. Um, So I'm from North Carolina, right? And so, you know, in North Carolina, you know, we drive, you know, the way we drive and no shade in North Carolina. That's my my home. But since being in D.C., man, I could be at the light. It's red. That joint could turn green just literally like that. And then somebody already blew their horn. Blew their horn. Boom. And I'm like, I'm like, yo, this just turned green. Like, it literally just turned green. And somebody done, yeah, somebody done, like, blew the horn. I mean, and, and we'll hold it, too. You know what I mean? I'm like, hold up now. Now, I know I ain't driving that slow. Or I ain't, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, man. So, I, I, yeah, it's just, it's, just it's, it's comical, yo. But I think even based on that, and there, there's a myriad of examples that we can use of that. Uh, you could just see how, man, we are impatient. We're on the go. We're rush, 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 rush. Now, you know. I'm typically a very patient guy. My wife would, I believe, agree with this, but I, I do struggle with this. Um, just this past Wednesday, during our prayer time, I was confessing to the brothers and sisters, yeah, just how I've been impatient recently. Um, and, yeah, for whatever reason, just, just yeah, struggling with being patient. And, and then it also doesn't help. Let me say this, too. It doesn't help when, you know, you battle with anxiety, too. And I think anxiety also feeds the impatience. And so even experiencing that. Um, and so for me, I don't know if others can relate, but anxiety 
fueling impatience. You're like, man, I'm anxious right now. Okay, I would rather this to happen real boom, 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 quick, quick, so I can go ahead and get back to what I'm trying to do. Uh, anybody else relate? Yeah. And so that even feeding into the impatience. But we are told in Scripture, family, uh, to wait on the Lord. To wait on the Lord. Uh, we are even told that love is patient. Right? First Corinthians 13. Like, love is patient. And so forth. I mean, patience is a fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> We're to have patience. We are called to be patient. And so... My prayer for myself, for all of us, God, help us to be more patient. Help us to be a patient people with ourselves, with one another. That's what we are called to. And then the last characteristic mentioned in verse two is bearing. Look back at the text, bearing with one another in love. Notice that it doesn't say bear with yourself in love. No, Bearing with one another is a duty and delight for the whole congregation. Duty in that it is our responsibility to bear with one another uh, through, yeah, life's particular challenges or sin struggles, etc., etc. Delight in that, guess what, family? We get to do this. That we get to bear with one another. And that it is a privilege and a joy. To bear with one another, amen? amen. So like you bear with me, we I bear with you, we all bear with one another. This is what we are called to as Christians. And so, uh, yeah, this is one of the ways, that, you know, here at CACC, we talk about doing life with one another. This is one of the ways we get to do life with each other, by bearing with one another. If, if you know, if someone's caught in sin, man, we are to, to, to bear with that brother or sister. Now, we want to be careful that we don't get caught up in it with them or anything along those lines, as Galatians tells us, right? But we are to bear with that brother or sister when there are different life challenges. Uh, yeah, I mean, when life happens, I mean, and, and just to think about, we know this as a church body, all the different things that have happened in our body, what, uh, in just seven months as a new church, all of the different ways, things that have happened from, you know, Job needing of jobs to to uh, health challenges to so forth with people you know I mean death you know family members all of these different ways that God has given us the opportunity to bear with each other and I've been encouraged I've been encouraged thank you all church family for how you all bear with me in. How, you know, I'm seeking to care for my father, right? I'm reminded of Sister Natasha, even on past Wednesday, this past Wednesday, how she prayed with me specifically for my dad and prayed with me. And I, I reflected on it that night and then, you know, really leading up to today and just kind of thinking about, man, like your prayer was powerful, sis. It was just encouraging just the way that you prayed and, and was like, you know, basically like, like to, to uh, give this burden to God. That I can't bear it. That I got to let God bear it. And that my father is in my dad. My father and my dad as well. My, my dad, yeah, my heavenly dad. My earthly dad is in my heavenly father's hands. He's in control. Right? And so I was just really encouraged by that, sister. I really appreciate that. And then just all the other ways uh, that 
our church family are buried with one another. It's a delight and it's a duty. So as we seek to, as we move forward, as we seek to live out these different characteristics that are listed here, may we look to Jesus who modeled all of these perfectly. So none of us do that perfectly, but may we look to Jesus who modeled those things for us perfectly. And may we trust in his perfect modeling as we seek to then model after him. So to quote Dr. Marita again, uh, in thinking about these characteristics or these virtues that Jesus has, he says this, he says, no one exemplified these virtues better than Jesus, who was the supreme example of humility. So Philippians 2, 5 through 11, we looked at that passage. As for gentleness, Jesus said, come to me because I am gentle. So that's Matthew 11, 28 to 29. His patience is unparalleled. That's 1 Timothy 1, 16. As for love, Christ demonstrated it in manifold ways and most vividly uh, at the cross. So Romans 5, 8. And then as for being eager to maintain peace, he was the peacemaker. So we think about Ephesians 2, 14. Let's just think about that, family. Jesus model, exemplify all of these virtues perfectly before God. And as we seek to exemplify those characteristics, we need to look to the perfect one and ask for his help and ask for his grace as we seek to do that as a family. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, so God has called us to himself. Now our second and final point, uh, which will be a little quicker, uh, God has called us together in unity to display his oneness. So point number two, God has called us together in unity to display his oneness. So look back with me at verse three. Here's what it reads. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Peace. So God has called us together to be a family and he desires that our family be in unity. Desires for us to be in unity, church family. The word eager there means to be enthusiastic. Uh, so to be enthusiastic, to be ready to do something. So when you're eager to do something, you're ready or you're excited about it. And so what is that something? Well, that something is that we should be eager about and ready is to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So the question is for us, family, is are we eager to maintain unity? Are we eager to maintain unity? Are we zealous for maintaining unity? Or are you more zealous for disunity? For causing disunity? So, use an example uh, not that this is anything that, uh, yeah, I've heard or, or seen happening in our congregation or anything along those lines, but just, just thinking of an example, let's think about gossiping for a second, right? Um, what, what happens? So when in, in gossiping, when uh, there's a particular matter that goes on, personal matter, whatever the case may be, uh, people catch whiff of that. They start to tell others in the church or tell others in the community, uh, maybe that information, uh, yeah, maybe it has lost some accuracy or anything along those lines throughout that transferring of communication or gossiping or telling this, that, and third. You all know. We've seen it. 
right? We've seen the effects of gossiping and how it can, it can hurt lives, how it can hurt feelings, how it can, uh, yeah, how it can be a seedbed for like disunity in a church or in a home or wherever. So when we think about maintaining unity, we know that gossiping or anything else that you want to put there uh, that is negative uh, does not help with maintaining unity. Amen? It doesn't help. It, it, it doesn't help. It doesn't promote. And it's ungodly. And so if you put the characteristics listed in verse 2 with the questions that I just asked and even the example that I just used, you'll find, this is what you'll find, family, you'll find where people are prideful and not gentle and impatient and not bearing with one another, that disunity is in full effect. That's what you'll find. You'll find that, yeah, where people are prideful, they're not humble, people are not gentle, they're, they have a, a, a bulliness about them. I don't know if that's the word, bulliness, but they're bullies, they're impatient, and they're not bearing with one another. That disunity is in full effect. It's wreaking havoc, and it's hurting lives. It's causing pain. Notice that unity here isn't something, as we continue to move on, notice that unity here isn't something that we have to create, but it's something that we already have. And that our job, family, is to maintain it. So here's what it says. It says eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. So it's something that as believers, we've already been given, that we already have. It's not something that we got to create, but that we already have unity in the spirit by the spirit and that our job is to seek to maintain that unity, that gospel unity and we do it with the spirit's help can't do it in our own strength we need the spirit's help we need him the the spirit who uh, creates the unity and who helps to maintain the unity we need him to help us as we seek to maintain unity as a church and we do it linked together this isn't something that uh, one person does or a few people do in a silo but it's actually the whole church the whole membership the whole body seeking to maintain unity so where there may have been conflict or where there is conflict of some sort for the sake of gospel unity we should be honest about that conflict. Uh, we should be honest about that conflict. And so you, you think about, I mean, we are called to, uh, yeah, confess our sins to one another, right? We are, we are called to repent to one another. Uh, I'm an imperfect pastor. We're all imperfect people. We hurt each other. That's family, right? Families, we, we hurt each other. We say things, we do things, da 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 But also as a family, as God's family, we should seek to repent to one another. We should seek to, uh, yeah, forgive one another as we are called to forgive one another. And as we repent of these particular things or sin when needed, as needed, often, uh, and as we seek forgiveness, we do this with the spirit of peace. That's what it says here at the end. We do this with a spirit of peace. So in the bond of peace, we are to seek to yeah, maintain gospel unity. 
So in verses four through six, some scholars believe it was a hymn or a Christian creed. And so Christian creed meaning beliefs about the faith. And the theme of verses uh, four through six is oneness in God. So the word one is mentioned seven times in just those three verses alone. So you see one there listed. Uh, so, so as we seek to be unified as a church, as we seek to uh, put uh, yeah, God's unity on display, his vision for unity on display, and the oneness found in him, uh, we'll see that, yeah, as God uh, is one and as he promotes unity and oneness, that we are to seek to, to do the same. And so let's go through these just really briefly. I'm going to read verses four through six again and then walk through these uh, particular statements. And so verse four says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So these seven statements just really briefly uh, there is one body. So we are all one in Christ's church. Although we look different, although we come from different backgrounds, uh, we have different giftings, we are all united as one. One. Two, there is one spirit. So uh, God is Trinity. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, yeah, one God, three distinct persons. The spirit being the third person of the Trinity. Uh, and he is the one who creates unity and then grants us the power to maintain it. So there's one spirit. And this one spirit uh, promotes unity and helps us to maintain it. Three, we have one hope. So at one time, and I read the passage in chapter two, at one time we were all without hope. We had no hope. And we, were without, we were without God in the world, as the text says. But now in Christ, we have hope. So there's one hope, and that hope is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Four, there's one Lord. So Christians, we confess and we proclaim that there is one Lord, and his name is Jesus. Amen? One Lord, and his name is Jesus. Five, there's one faith. So as Christians, we embrace and uh, we believe the one and true faith that was given to us from God, that was established and granted to us from God. So there's one faith. Six, there's one baptism. So this is referring to uh, spiritually being baptized into Christ. And so uh, we have been united into Christ's death. Right. Romans six. Uh, we have been uh, united in his resurrection. Right. Uh, we've we've died with Christ and we've been raised with Christ to, to new life. And so this is what's in view here. There's one baptism and that being that baptism, baptism in Christ. Uh, water baptism is a, a outward expression of an inward reality. Right. And so when someone is, is baptized in water, full immersion, uh, the idea is, is that they are being buried with Christ. Right. And then they're being, so as they go underneath the water and then raised from the water, they are, yeah, being raised in Christ. And so the resurrection in view there. And so this ordinance 
uh, may be in view here, but, but the idea here is he is talking about this one baptism that we have been baptized into Christ. Amen. Then lastly, there is one God and Father. There is only one God and Father. And uh, this one God is Father of all Christians, no matter their background, ethnicity, status, uh, likes, dislikes, etc., etc. This one God is Father of all Christians. So as we think about this, we think about the unity that we have and that we seek to display that is only found in God and motivated by God. Um, just think about this for a second as we as we are about to come to a close. Um, God himself is the ultimate picture of unity. Um, think about the Trinity for a second. Think about, yeah, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, one God, uh, three distinct persons that in God. One God, there's unity, and that through the Trinity, he displays, yeah, community and unity amongst himself. So this is, I mean, God himself has established this, and he is the epitome of what unity is to look like and to be. And so the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one, as mentioned, three distinct persons, but united, one essence, one God, and so family, 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 hear me when I say, may we, as a church, uh, promote God's unity. May we promote God's unity. So we're not talking about just unity for unity's sake. We're talking about gospel unity. We're talking about the unity that we have as Christians in Christ. This is what's in view here. And so may we as a church, seek to promote that gospel unity. Am I not saying that we don't seek to, yeah, you know, like when we, when we think about how we are out on the block and, you know, uh, doing evangelism and seeking to love our neighbors well, when we think about, man, just even, yeah, this, this week, uh, all the different shootings, and all the different things that's happening in our community and throughout DC, throughout the DMV, throughout the world, yeah, we, we want to promote unity. We want to promote peace, right? I believe that is a call uh, for Christians to seek and want to promote. But here in this passage, as a church, as a whole, God is calling us to, yeah, promote gospel unity. So may we all, as a church family, seek to do that best. And we seek to, to do that as we seek to please him. And as we seek to reflect that unity across, yeah, across the street and throughout the nations. Amen? Amen. So as uh, Nikki and Natasha come back up, I will close us in prayer. So, Father, we, uh, yeah, we thank you, God, that you have called us to yourself. Um, yeah, not based on anything that we have done, or not, not, yeah, not based on our goodness or anything along those lines, because you alone are good, uh, but based, yeah, on your goodness. 
Lord, yeah, your desire to save us. You called us to yourself. You, yeah, awakened our affections to you. At one point we had affections for the world. We loved the world. We loved our sin. We were, yeah, in captivity to Satan. But you, in the gospel, freed us. So we praise you for your freedom, how you've called us to yourself, and then how you have called us to be a family, a church family that's unified. Yeah, that we come from different backgrounds, come from different states, come from all these different things, ethnicities, yeah, likes, dislikes, all these different things, but that's what makes it beautiful. That's what makes it glorious that you would call people that look different, that act different, that like different things together to be a family. And so God, we praise you for, yeah, how you, even in that, are glorified. How the unity that you have within yourself is on display in the unity that you seek to see, that you have established, that you seek, uh, and us seek with your help to maintain. So, Lord, we love you. Please help us to maintain it. In Jesus' name, amen.